Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verses 12 to 16. Please following reading the word of God. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper workings of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Father, give us ears to hear. This is ministry. Father, I pray that you teach. It's not me they hear, that that is you they hear. And Father, you will help us to understand that we are being strengthened for the work of ministry that caused the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Help us, Lord, beginning with me, that we each of us may walk worthy, exercising our gifts and rejoicing at the gifted men that you have placed in our surroundings. To you, my King, in Christ's name, amen. I shared with you guys several times that I have a uh, pastor that I uh, admire quite well. He uh, preached in Dundee, Scotland. His name was Robert Murray McShane. I want to start this time with this quote from McShane. Quote, Get your text from God, your thoughts, your words from God. It is not great talents God blesses, so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. A word spoken by you when your conscience is clear and your heart is full of God's Spirit is worth 10,000 words spoken in unbelief and sin. Unquote. Okay? Now you guys have some kind of idea of what it is that motivates me. If we are to build the body of Christ, then the saints are to do the work of ministry. All right, I shared with you last week, Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And those were the texts that were on me when they decided that I should be the pastor. Is that we proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. This I labor and I strive by the power that works within me. The word labor there means I work to the point of sweating. 
The word strive is a veterinary term that means when a horse strained its muscle, that that's the energy that you should put into proclaiming him, admonishing and teaching in all wisdom. The word there is kaprazidzo, and it's the word that we get perfecting from. Perfecting of the saints, equipping of the saints, strengthening of the saints for service, building them up. Okay? So I want you to think with me a little bit. Years and years and years ago, I uh, taught the Gospel of Matthew. And a text that uh, perplexed me at the time, and still at times when I wander back to it, kind of gives me a, uh, okay, and it comes out of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 48. And you know the Beatitudes, be of these attitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, and so on and so forth. And then he concludes it with, therefore, okay, in light of all of this, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know about you, that's a pretty serious standard. Okay? God's standard is not lowered for our behalf. God's standard is perfection. What God wants is perfection. See, what God wants is to reverse the fall. What God wants is to undo what has been done. What God wants is paradise regained. That's what this is all about. You know, I've asked people in the past, and some of you have been through Romans with me, why were you saved? To go to heaven? No, that is a benefit, but that ain't why you were saved. You were saved to be conformed into the image of Christ Jesus. So that all of creation would look and say, what power there is in this God. The ultimate goal for God is the perfection of his people. God means this in three ways. Okay? It's funny how they do things in threes, isn't it? When I see that word in the Greek, I know that it means a completion, a maturity, an adult. All right? So when I look at God saying, I want you to be perfect for I am perfect, then I understand it from three parameters. And you'll see this. You, you understand it. You that have been under my teaching for a while know this. It's just I'm coming at it at a different angle that you're not ready for. But you're going to say, oh, da-da. Well, maybe you won't. <laughs> maybe you won't. Who knows? First, it's positional Perfection. Remember when we were going through the first three chapters of Ephesians? It's all theology. And it's eyeball deep theology. It is gut choking theology. And it, it shows you 
what you possess because you are a Christian. Okay? The word perfection means fully equipped. You know what that means, right? Lacking nothing. You are complete. You're mature. You're full grown. It doesn't have... Too many times we throw in there that it means sinless perfection. Okay? It can mean that. But not in our text. Let me show it to you. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering... He has what? Perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Sanctified is past tense. Perfected is for all time. Same word. Same word. One offering, that cross, that one offering, the death on the cross did the work when it is applied to you and me, and it is forever and ever. Amen. Okay? It is not the sense of our daily life. Okay? It's our position before God. So, when you became a Christian, you are, remember what we looked at in the first three chapters, You are in Christ. When God the Father looks at a Christian, what does he see? Christ. He sees Christ. What was Christ lacking? Nothing. So when God, you, at the moment of your salvation, you look as Christ. Okay? When you become a Christian... The righteousness of Christ is imputed to you. Every believer in Jesus Christ. It is put into your account. The nature of God belongs to every believer. I was born again with a seed that is incorruptible. That is my position As a child of God, as a Christian, a child of God has perfect standing before God. The child of God is holy. The child of God is undefiled. The moment that you're saved, you are a chaste bride. You are without spot. You are without blemish positionally before a holy and righteous God. Positionally. That is the first kind of perfection. When he says, be perfect for your father in heaven is perfect. That's what he's speaking of. One time. Now then. That is what God desires. Let me ask you a question. Who did that? Who did it? You didn't do it. I know people who are trying. I've seen them. They're pleasant to be around. Okay? That comes by salvation. That positional 
perfection. When you were saved in God's eyes, he sees you as perfect as Christ Jesus. You have Christ righteousness. This is what is called the doctrine of redemption. This goes back to what I was trying to explain. One of the things that is missing in the body of Christ today is a lack of theology. We don't understand what we possess as children of God. Okay, but there's a second thing. There's a second one. Told you there's three. I call it uh, ultimate perfection. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of righteous made perfect. There's the word again. There's the word again. That's ultimate perfection. The spirits of just men made perfect. That's all of those who have gone before you into glory. Old Testament saints, New Testament saints. Those are the saints who are with the Lord. They are perfect. There is a perfection that comes when you go to be with the Lord. When you leave this clay pot, as Paul calls it to the Corinthians. When you leave this vessel. There is positional perfection that is gained by salvation. There is ultimate perfection that is gained by glorification. That is the future for every believer in Jesus Christ. Okay? Our spirits will be perfect. And it will be joined with a perfect glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I want you to be really aware of this. Remember, if you're going to walk worthy, you're going to do it in all humility, right? So when it comes to positional Perfection. Do you understand? It's already done. And you can't do anything about it. When it comes to ultimate perfection, you can't do anything about that one either. Now, can you? It only happens when you leave the temporal. All right? You see the pattern yet? So what would the third one be? I'll call it practical perfection. Because of my position and because of my future, what am I doing now? It is the living here and now. By the way, God wants this too. The believer here and now living in this world, those who are positionally perfect, who will be ultimately perfect, match their practice to their position. The Lord wants us perfect practically. Okay? Kapazu, 
It's not absolute sinless, but it means mature. Okay? It means complete. It means uh, grown up. Fully equipped. Uh, you could call it, I'm an adult. Nah, I don't think that's a good term. <laughs> I know some adults that I don't want to be like. So we'll move on to the ones that I've already given you. Listen, I've already shown you in Ephesians 4. Remember verse 14? As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That may be one of the greatest tragedies that are around. I, uh, as a brother in Christ, have witnessed this a lot. Uh, and uh, i got to be honest with you, it breaks my heart. Because those are the ones who are easily deceived. Those are the ones that are carried away by the wind, by uh, the new trend, the new fad in the quote-unquote church. And they get tossed. Why? Because they haven't grown up. They haven't understood their position in Christ. They haven't understood what God gave them at the moment of their salvation. They don't understand what God is doing in the body of Christ. So anything that comes by tosses them around. But if they're tossed because they don't really understand what the scriptures say, then they are susceptible to deceit. They are susceptible to the schemings of men. And that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Um, I blame pulpits for the bulk of that. All right. But I also blame people. And, and, and you'll see this over the weeks to come. If you're not in church, how are you being sanctified? You're sanctifying yourself. Tell you what, let me know how that works out for you. Because I know how it works out. Verse 14 already shown me. You will be tossed to and fro by every wind that comes down the pike. By the schemes and deceits. Why? You don't know what? God doesn't want us to be infants. God doesn't want us to be immature. He wants us to be complete. He wants us to be mature. He says it there. In the verse 13, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result of the fullness of Christ, guess what? You're no longer children. Positionally, it was done by salvation. Ultimately done by glorification. Practically done by sanctification. The three tenths of redemption. Uh, I grew up, uh, I, that sounds odd, but when I came into salvation, they always told me that at this point in time, you were justified or salvation. Then you lived this life, and that was your sanctification. 
And then when you left this life, that was your glorification. Okay? Now, all of us here could say, I can identify with that. I remember when I got saved, and I've been fighting ever since, and I'm ready to check out and be glorified. That I understand why people believe that, but here's the problem. It's not biblical. You're all three of them things, and you're saved. I just showed it to you. I'm not in the process. The body of Christ is here with gifted men and other people's spiritual gifts for what? The maturing, the strengthening, the completing, the growing up of the saints for the work of ministry, service. That's biblical. I understand I understand why people say, well, I'm in the process of sanctification. You know what? I love you. But if positionally I'm as holy as Christ, sanctification is complete. Glorification comes when I'm done, when my race is run. But Jesus said, my glory I give you. The fact that you and I have the opportunity to deal with the eternal destination of souls? What glory? That's a glorious thought. Every one of you have that potential. Every one of your your lives will touch people that I'll never reach. And when they see that, who gets the glory? I shared that story in my Sunday school class this morning. My bus driver, when I was in Israel, we were sitting out by the Dead Sea, and and um, he said, they tell me you're a pastor. And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, well, i got to ask you a question. I said, what's the question? He says, why aren't you trying to save me? He says, I do these tours all the time, and there are all these pastors trying to get me saved. I just smiled at him and says, I can't save anybody. And he said, What? I said, I can't save anybody. I said, I can tell you who can, but I can't save anybody. And he says, you know what? All of my years, I've never heard that. But truth of the matter is, I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. But you know what? You can't tell them who can. And if your life reflects that change of nature, because God's nature belongs to you, then they're going to say, You've piqued my interest, sir. Practical sanctification is the process of maturing. That is when you are taught so you can walk. That's what it is. So, God, through Jesus, and the power of His Holy Spirit, we've already looked at this, has given us evangelists. But He's also given us teaching pastors. He's given us people who have the ability to bring the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon sinful man, and then bring them into the body of Christ so that the teaching pastors can mature them. Brothers and sisters, you know what that is? Church. 
church. And you know what? When I see the apostles and the prophets, I've already been told, chapter 1, verse 22-20, that that was for the foundation built, built off the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Foundations laid. So now we're building on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And in doing so, you have evangelists. That's a good thing, huh? They have the ability in the power of the Holy Spirit to convict men, women, children of their sin. Point them to he who saves. Then, once they are saved, you plug them into who? Teaching pastors. Why? For the maturing. Why? Because as you grow, you become ministers. Every one of you. You become servants. And guess what happens? It's a really weird thing. It starts multiplying. Baptists have a gift of building churches by division. God does it by multiplication. But the reason is, I, I truly wish that I had been more to the evangelist side. Uh, I have been blessed to be around some amazing evangelists. But I wasn't. <laughs> I was placed here. Why? It is time-consuming. It is heartbreaking. It is uh, stressful. It can be depressing. It can be all of the things that you never want to hear a pastor say. And yet, I have strengthened you for the task at hand. All of these teaching pastors and evangelists, which is building on the foundation, is all for one purpose. Listen. It is not to perfect the saints positionally. Christ did that. It is not to perfect the saints ultimately. God does that. So what is left? The work of the saints here and now, the Holy Spirit does through gifted men that he has put in the body of Christ. Oh, by the way, he, the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, he chose these men. Please understand that. Please, please understand that. I don't care what your passion is or what you think you're supposed to be doing. Watch what the Holy Spirit does. Okay? Because if not, you're going to do it in your own strength. See, that is the task. That is the job. And there is no other. There's no other way. That is how the church is to grow. I hear people say, well, because I get stuff weekly on how to grow the church. Some of it is comical, if it wasn't so serious. But when I think about it, 
If you tell somebody that all I want to do is teach theology, you'll get the same response in this country. Well, that's boring. I've heard pastors here in town tell me, well, I don't really like to deal with doctrine. It's so stale. That's odd to me. I'm, I'm thinking that if you believe that doctrine and theology is stale, perhaps you should find another line of work. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, doctrine and theology, even to this day, still stuns me. I mean, there's times that you'll just roll into something and all of a sudden it just blossoms and you're like, oh, whoa. I can't tell you how many times that I have been studying things and was just excited. Was just, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then I go sit back down at my desk and I can't figure out how to explain it to somebody. That's frustration. (laughs) And I think that, well, when I cross that bridge, perhaps he shall assist me. The responsibility, specifically in this context for the evangelists and the teaching pastors, is to work on the saints here and now. But something you've got to be aware of, you can be the best teacher that the world has ever seen, and if your walk doesn't match it, You're wasting your time because all you're doing is telling the listeners that you're not convinced of it. Okay. And I don't, some of you don't know me that well. Some of you do know me better. Those who know me know that I'm convinced of it. Not only am I convinced of it, I'm confident of it. But I also know that I can't make you believe. That's a spirit's job. And that when you look at the context of Ephesians here, you understand, beginning in verse 12, these gifts that he's given to every believer, and then these gifted men that he has given, is for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's the job. That's the job. That is this text. To perfect the saints. To mature the saints. To show the saints that they are complete. To show the saints move from Childish things to adult things. That's the task. And you know what? Every one of us in this room right now, there is someone who's spiritually stronger than you, but there's also someone who's spiritually weaker than you. And it's our responsibilities, if you take the text out of Galatians chapter 6, when you who are spiritual... See 
one in a trespass, in, a, in the burden of sin. You who are spiritual are to what? Bear the burden. And it literally means, in the original language, a, a donkey that is crushed by its load. The stuff that the donkey is carrying is, is causing its legs to collapse. You get up under the donkey and lift it up. And ease its burden. That's spiritual. You who are spiritual. Why? Because we are striving to attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Remember what I shared with you out of Colossians 1, 28 and 29? We are teaching, admonishing, proclaiming in what? All wisdom. What? The wisdom is the Son of God. Who is the Son of God? To a mature man. To the measure of the statue. Now, you want to know what a mature man is? I'll get into more of this in the weeks to come. But it says here, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. See what I said when I started out in Matthew's Gospel 5? Be perfect for your Father in heaven is perfect. I shared with you why were you saved? To be conformed into the image of Christ. What does he say here? I have supernaturally gifted men in the church for the what? Strengthening of the saints. How strong do you want them to be? To the fullness of Christ. That's a mature man. They look like Christ. They respond like Christ. They depend on the word like Christ. They are driven by the spirit of the living God like Christ. Those guys. That should be our goals. Every one of us is. That should be what we're after. The fullness of Christ. Why? Verse 14. No longer to be children. Don't be children. Verse 15. Grow up in all aspects unto him. You know, remember when they had the, the bracelets that were out? WWJD. What, what would Jesus do? I never got one of those because I'd have to do things like walk on water, uh, maybe raise the dead, cause the blind to see. That's what Jesus would do. Okay. But you know what? I had a friend of mine. I was in, at a conference in Memphis. And uh, <laughs> he says, well, I kind of like it. I was like, really? And he said, yeah. He says, but I look at it from this perspective. Walking with Jesus daily. I was like, that's good. But he's smarter than I was, so. Okay. I, I Do you understand my passion for the church now? You know, I remember a guy years ago said, you know what, Terry? 
you've made the Bible an idol. And when he first said that, I was like, oh, man, idolatry, that's, a, that's bad juju. I don't want to be doing anything with that, man. But as I've grown, I kept thinking, well, wait a minute. And the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's not a bad idol. I've had him say, some other people say the same thing. You idolize the church. Probably right. Because I read it as the bride of Christ, his body. Yeah, I'll go with that. Um, Nobody in here knows me before salvation. You should have seen the idols I had then. Okay? No, I, I can handle that. Grow into Him in all respects, aspects, the head, even Christ. Listen, this is the whole idea of maturing, building, strengthening the saints. Brothers and sisters, this is the reality. This is what church is. Go look today in just my time as a senior pastor and my time as a Christian. Okay? If you've seen people 20 years ago coming out of a church, okay, and you were outside and you see them come out and you ask them, did you worship? And if they said yes, ask them how they knew they worshiped. 20 years ago is because the word of God was proclaimed and lifted up. Do it today. What will you get? Did you worship? Yes. How do you know? Because the music was awesome. I think that's wrong. There's a book if you can find it. I've been trying to find it. I was going to try to get as many copies as I get my hands on. I can't even remember the author's name. It's called Bible Dress. This guy wrote in the 60s and 70s. And he was talking about changing the attire of Scripture. And, you know, just that idea was fascinating to me. And, and so I, I read it. And the guy's right. And it started about the late 60s. I don't know. Some of you were around. Do you remember the I Found It movement? I, I, somebody may or may not know what I'm talking about. But anyway, I remember it. I was approached by some of them at spring break in Daytona Beach. <laughs> it didn't work. But anyway, he talks about how we are trying to make terminology of the Scripture more socially relevant. Instead of disciples, you've got mentors. Then you start hearing things called home Bible groups. Uh, you start, and, and they've got all kinds of really cool names with it. I remember one time, young in my faith, that I went to a koinonia group. And, ooh, ooh, you know what that is, right? 
fellowship. This is a fellowship group. But then we always, we had a, a basketball thing in the first church I attended too. You move the chairs around and play volleyball and whatever. Okay. But this guy's conclusion was you slowly start chipping away at what the Bible terminology, you will inevitably corrupt the scriptures. And it does start off, is it really that big a deal if I call this is my mentor or this is my discipler? It's not really that big a deal. But there's a progression that happens when you go through that. And I think that's what a lot you see today in what I call the American church is that men no longer want to hear sound words. And it's interesting in the original language, sound doctrine, I think it is. But the word sound there is the word we get hygiene from. They don't want to hear clean words anymore. But they become what? Lovers of self. Charles Spurgeon said, that is the sewer pipe that the rest of that all pours out of. Now, I don't know if we're in that phase right now or not, but I don't, well, I hope it can't get any worse, or not at least while I'm around. But see, the problem is, is that too many go to church today for what they can get. Instead of saying, you know what? There's somebody in this congregation who may need something that I have. Because there's somebody in this congregation that I know has something that I need. You know, I hear um, people struggle with divorce. It happens. But you know what? Why can't we as believers come alongside and help them? Instead of sitting there going, oh, I can't believe you did that. No, that ain't it. You know, it's, it's almost like, you know, we, we have blasphemy of the spirit and divorce. Those can't be forgiven. Well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Okay. No, you know, I've had people in our congregation who have had loved ones murdered. My wife, sister was murdered. See, we all have things that we can walk through. It's just like the other day I was dealing with a kid who was uh, doing cocaine and drinking and, and he'd given his heart to Jesus. And I was like, well, he don't want your heart. And he said, what? And I said, he don't want it. So we're on the phone, right? We're talking on the phone. And so I take him through First John. I said, we get a Bible. You ever try to get somebody who's got a buzz on and explain to them where First John is in their Bible? My golly, there's a challenge. Okay. Well, I'm at Revelations. Back up, back up, back up. You've gone too far. Anyway, so we sat on the phone, and, um, you know, after I got off talking to him, I said, like, why didn't I go to a speakerphone? But anyway, I had him start reading it. I said, read this out loud. So he starts reading it. We got through and started into chapter 3, and he says, I've got way too many questions now. I said, good. Good. Call me when you're straight. All right? Now, you guys, listen, when I look at that, alcohol, cocaine, whatever, I know what that is. Ain't it a disease? 
It's idolatry. Anything I put in front of God is idolatry. Well, it's addictive. No, it ain't. Idols are addictive. But then you think about it. <laughs> Jeremiah talks about it. says you take the same piece of wood to heat your stove and you make an idol out of it. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of stupid, isn't it? See what I'm trying to get at? See, everybody here has had things you've had to deal with that somebody else may be in the process of dealing with. But see, you must be strengthened so you can exercise the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen that saint so they will be effective in ministry. See how it works? It's an awesome plan. And you and I can't improve on it. Verse 12, the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body. When you build up the saints, they automatically will do the work of ministry. Okay? It's fantastic. Fantastic. Or as the term I like to use, phantasmagorical. Why? Because it gets the job done. If you just have mature Christian, that's the plan. I'm going to close with McShane's quote again. Quote, get your texts from God, your thoughts, your words from God. It is not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. The holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. A word spoken by you when your conscience is clear and your heart is full of God's spirit is worth 10,000 words spoken in unbelief and sin. Unquote. See the power of that quote? You and I are here for the strengthening of saints. I'm the teaching pastor. Okay? But every one of you has a gift given to you by the Holy Spirit for a specific need in the body of Christ. Because if you look at verse 16, what does it say? Every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part because the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. (laughs) It's awesome if you think about it. And you know what's really cool? In eternity past, before time was created, before space was created, God said, I want you guys for this time for the body of Christ. Just makes you want to do a happy dance, doesn't it? Let's pray. We come to you, Father. uh, You never cease to amaze me. My love for your precious church, my love for the saints, And yet, Father, I know that all of that is from you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters.
pray that they'll stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that they'll walk worthy in all humility. Father, in gentleness and patience, long-suffering love, diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Help us, Father, to be strengthened in the inner man. Jesus Christ would be comfortable. We would understand the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Father, we would see the fullness of God as you do abundantly beyond what we could ever ask. Help us, Lord, these strange times. It's been strange times since the birth of the church. But help us to run this race with all endurance. To you, my King, my Lord, my Savior. Amen.